What's up, beautiful people? Welcome to Citizen Hope. I'm your host, Jess. I'm so grateful you decided to join me today. And today I'm going to be talking about a guy named Saul Khan. He is the founder and CEO of Khan Academy, a not-for-profit online learning platform with the mission of providing free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. And if you haven't heard of Khan Academy, you probably have heard of some of the newer online learning platforms like Coursera, Udemy, and Skillshare, and they all have Saul Khan to thank. But before we get into his story, I've got an announcement about the show. After much consideration and a lot of debate and really going back and forward with myself, <laughs> this episode is going to be the final episode of season one of Citizen Hope. Um, I was really hoping to get to 10 episodes. That was the plan all along, but y'all, I just don't think I have it in me. <laughs> it's been a long quarantine. I know you know, and I oh, we're not out of the woods yet. Everybody knows we're not out of the woods yet, but... I'm vaccinated. The weather is beautiful. I just want to be outside. <laughs> so I'm planning to use um, the upcoming weekends of the summer to get out into nature, to reconnect with my friends and family. And I certainly hope that you do the same. Uh, don't worry, though. I've already got ideas cooking for season two. So expect a comeback of Citizen Hope sometime this fall. All right, guys, let's get into today's episode. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought with it a lot of change. Uh, some of that change is good, you know, like better hygiene for all. Let's keep that up. <laughs> but some of that change has been um, really impactful and, and probably none so impactful as schools closing and kids having to learn virtually in their homes. I, I know all the parents out there would agree with that. Um, if you didn't appreciate virtual learning before, you certainly do now. Uh, and so that's why I'd like to talk to you about Saul Khan, because he's one of the early curators of online learning. Khan was born on October 11th, 1976 in Metairie, Louisiana. His father was from Barasal, Bangladesh, and his mother was from Murshidabad, India. As a child, Khan, his older sister, and his younger brother grew up in an environment that fostered individuality and curiosity. In Khan's own words, he says, For the most part, we had a fairly verbal family, which in no small way is a euphemism for argumentative, but you can't discount that. It actually makes you good at articulating yourself on the fly. Khan went on to attend Grace King High School, and he worked as a cartoonist for the high school newspaper. He took upper-level mathematics courses at the University of New Orleans while he was in high school, and he graduated valedictorian of his class in 1994. As a student, Khan was always very sensitive to and very aware of how his teachers were interacting with him. He was selected to join a class for gifted learners in high school, and one of his teachers asked him, what do you want to do? And Khan said, what? You're asking me what I want to do? You know, she kind of gave me license to be creative. So even in high school, Khan is thinking about how he's being educated and what education might look like outside of the, the boundaries that we see it today. Khan went on to attend the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and would end up getting three degrees, 
two in computer science and engineering and one in mathematics. It was his time at MIT that really got him thinking about our current educational system. When Khan first arrived at MIT, he watched smart students struggle while others seemed to breeze through the curriculum. He really wondered about this. At the same time, he noticed that the pace of academia forced him to be ruthless with his time management. Khan recalls, I was thinking coldly how I could get the most bang for my hour of time. And he discovered a few key things. First, he learned that he learns best at his own pace. And second, he figured out that people who understood a subject holistically on kind of an intuitive level, they're the ones who learn most deeply. After Khan graduated from MIT in 1998, he entered the workforce. In 2002, Khan was a summer intern at the Palo Alto Research Center, or PARC, which is a research and development company. And from 2003 to late 2009, Khan worked as a hedge fund analyst at Connective Capital Management. In 2004, while working at Connective Capital Management, the idea for Khan Academy was sparked. Khan's cousin was struggling with math, so he tutored her remotely and posted educational videos for her on YouTube. So many people watched those videos that eventually Khan quit his job in 2009 and pursued Khan Academy full-time, moving his focus to developing his YouTube channel with the aid of his close friend, Josh Geffner. When Khan was asked how he decided to take the plunge, take that leap of faith, and turn his hobby into a career, Khan replied, I really enjoyed my hedge fund job. It was far more thought-provoking and intellectual than people might assume. But I also found a lot of satisfaction working with my cousins, writing the software and making the videos. So in the back of my mind, I thought I would become a portfolio manager, have my own fund, and maybe 15 or 20 years in the future on my own terms, fund a school. As anyone in investments will tell you, you have bad days and you think maybe you should do your hobby full time. But then you remember that you don't own a house, you have a baby on the way, and you haven't paid off your or your wife's student loans, so you stop dreaming. <laughs> I'd been part of the dot-com bubble, and I found it so exhausting emotionally that I told myself entrepreneurship was not for me. So when I started Khan Academy, I said, this is a hobby, this is a passion, this is fun. And I protected it that way as it developed. I thank my old boss because he thought it was valuable for us to have our own lives, and that created a space for Khan Academy to blossom. When I took the plunge, it was significantly de-risked. By 2009, 100,000 people were using the videos, and we'd been on CNN and in USA Today, and I was starting to talk to philanthropists. So I sat down with my wife and I said, let's give it a year. If I can't get it off the ground, I can go back to my old job. Nine months in, things started to happen. A good deal of the success of Khan Academy and Khan's educational videos come from the fact that he's such a naturally gifted teacher. Khan has been described as someone who is not afraid to ask questions to understand something or to get to the root of a problem. He teaches with passion and effect and takes on natural leadership roles. Khan said, I teach the way I wish I was taught. 
the lectures are actually coming from me, an actual human being who is fascinated by the world around him. Along the way, Khan also realized that effective online education requires more than just a scripted experience. Emotive delivery matters. He says, there should be intonation and cues that you care. A lot of that gets lost when you script things. Khan's own observations during his time at MIT about the holistic learning experience have framed his approach to education. He notes that when math or science was taught, it was often not in the most emotive way. Often coming from one unit to another, it was very disjointed. Connections weren't drawn across subjects. Even within a subject, connections were often lost. As Khan Academy grew, Khan outlined his mission as accelerating learning for students of all ages and sharing our content with whoever may find it useful. To that end, Khan Academy was created as a nonprofit. When asked about this decision, Khan said, in the for-profit realm, a home run is to scale big, get 100 million users, and go public or get acquired. That would have been good for me individually and for our investors, but it felt a little wrong because I wanted our content to be accessible to all people for a long time into the future. Beyond your generation, do you have confidence that a for-profit will stay true to its mission? The institutions that have had global reach over multiple generations have been not-for-profits. That's a home run in that sector. And maybe Khan Academy can be one of those. In terms of its advantages, we get goodwill. There are 51 people in the organization plus thousands of volunteers, and we're attracting some of the best in Silicon Valley. McKinsey folks, people from Google and Facebook, one of the leading quant fund guys, the world's top JavaScript programmer. These incredible people come for the mission, not even realizing that we actually pay pretty well. So we're getting a caliber I don't think anyone else can. In 2012, Khan received the American Academy of Achievements Gold Medal, and he was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. In 2014, Khan received the 19th Annual Heinz Award in the Human Condition category. Khan Academy has grown since its inception and now boasts a coach feature promoting the connection of teachers to students through videos and monitor tools. And in June 2017, Khan Academy launched the Financial Literacy Video Series for college graduates, job seekers, and young professionals. I myself am not such a young professional, but financial literacy, that is something that should be taught. <laughs> And I might have to go watch those classes. Um, Khan also founded the Khan Lab School, which opened on September 15th, 2014 in Mountain View, California. And as for one of my personal passions, Khan and I share this, um, which is how we might improve the educational system. Khan has lots of ideas. But first and foremost, he cites the value of agency. Khan says, the one meta-level thing is to take agency over your own learning. In the traditional academic model, you're passive. You sit in a chair and the teacher tries to project knowledge at you. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. That's not an effective way to learn. 
worse, it creates a mindset of you need to teach me. So when you're on your own, you think I can't learn. Anyone in any industry will tell you there's new stuff to learn every week these days. So you have to say, what information and people do I have at my disposal? What questions do I need to ask? How do I gauge whether I fully understood it? In another interview, Khan stated, I think there are a lot of levers where one could reimagine education, but the one that we focus most on is on this notion of, in a traditional academic model, kids move ahead at a fixed pace. A teacher will cover a topic for a couple weeks, and then there'll be an assessment. And on that assessment, one student gets a 70%, and another student gets an 80%, and another student gets a 95%. And even though the assessment identified gaps, the class will then move on to the next concept, and those gaps keep accumulating. The stat that I've been citing a lot lately is that kids get to community college and 70% have to take remedial math, which is a euphemism for sixth or seventh grade math. And so the thing we focus most on is how do we create content tools, software, to allow teachers to allow their students to remediate gaps if they have any and work on something long enough until they've gotten to a reasonable level of proficiency or mastery and then move on. It doesn't even have to be wholesale change towards that. It could even be 20% of class time in that direction. We're seeing kids grow 20 to 30% faster than expected. Khan has also shared some insightful things about our capacity to concentrate. <laughs> Concentration is, uh, is something we all feel like we're lacking, and for good reason. You know, I'm sure we can draw our own conclusions about what um, Khan might have to say about this from our own educational experiences. Sitting in those hard chairs, listening to a teacher or a professor drone on and on at us for hours. Um, and Khan says, we think that because this generation has Facebook, Twitter, and mobile phones, that they don't have attention spans. But it's clear from the studies that we never really had the attention spans that the classroom-based lecture model expects of students. Especially with dense subject matter, humans can pay attention for 10 to 15 minutes before they zone out. And then you zone back in for eight or nine minutes, then you zone out again. The zoning in gets shorter and the zoning out gets longer. And by the end of the hour, you might have picked up 30% of the material or you might be lost altogether. Insights like these just scratch the surface of what Khan has learned about the pitfalls of our current educational system. If you'd like to learn more about what he's discovered, check out his book, The One World Schoolhouse, Education Reimagined. I'll post that title in the show notes as well. Today, Khan lives with his wife and two children in Mountain View, California. To date, Khan Academy's videos on YouTube have been viewed over 1.8 billion times. And that's a wrap on the last episode of this season of Citizen Hope. Thank you guys so, so much for joining me today. And if you've been with me the whole season, just know I appreciate you. I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Um, I hope everybody has a really safe and fun summer with your friends and family. Get outside. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we all need it. Be safe, though. We're not in the clear just yet. Um, and, and really, don't forget how awesome you are.
don't forget how amazing this human experience really is and that you have a measurable value simply because you're alive and living. So until next season, take care of yourself. 